Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 2. I have no mouth, and I must scream. Please understand there will be spoilers and trigger warnings for the following. Violence, misogyny, and psychological torture. Also gratuitous use of the word gross. We are your hosts, Phil Allegheri and Damien Haster. And listen to the pretty music playing. La 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 la. Good this evening, Damien. How are you going? Yeah, it's one or three one. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, jazz was one of the few kind of music styles I didn't consider for the start of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there's there's jazz to fit anything, you know. Well, see, I think jazz. I always think like you know, New Orleans, like big brass jazz. And it's like that's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. I don't know. There's some there's some ragtime tunes that are like really dark. They put them in like minor keys, and so they're like they're jaunty, and you can dance to them. But they're also like like um, it's not ragtime, but um, Minnie the Moocher or Minnie the Mooch. It's a pretty dark song. See, I just can't see it in my head. Or like oh, like in pictures, like the saints come marching in. It's like that is. Not how we need to open this. Uh, well, I mean, you could make that song creepy, for sure. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Damien, what is our book for this week? So, this week we're doing <clears throat> I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. By Harlan Ellison. Yes, that one. And I had never read this book, and you had. I think I think book is a, a strong term. It, it, it's another short story, so you know, like the Telltale yes. Heart. I think I think the total this is, what four or five pages long. Um, I don't know. I read it on my phone, so it was all just one big. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I for, for me at least, uh, I, I got this in a, a collection with four or five other stories, and I, I think I said last week I I don't really remember the other ones. That's not true. There, mm-hmm. there was one called uh, Maggie Money Eyes, which. Uh, which actually I did, uh, I do remember and actually enjoyed. <clears throat> but yes, I mean, I saw is... the 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 link. There's a link in the show notes from last week about how you can get this book to read it, and uh, and on Amazon it says that it's a a number one bestseller. So there's got to be some good stuff in there. Or not? Did I lose you? Did you lose me? Technical difficulties. Everybody gets to listen to my voice now while Phil Allegheri figures out his technical difficulties. So yeah, the, there is some boast that this is, you know, the the second most translated book after the Bible, and I kind of believe it. I don't, I don't know if I've ever listened to anything. Uh, sorry, I don't believe I've ever read anything quite like this. This is a very bleak, miserable story. Yeah, that's true. It is. It like, and it's it's really um, an interesting story. Like it it. 
I mean, it, it tackles a kind of a, a trope of the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, the the insane artificial intelligence, but it, it takes it to a whole deeper and darker level where, you know, like... Well, you, you can argue it, it has a, a modern relevance. You know, people talk about building machines that are super intelligent, super smart, that are, you know, fully cognizant of what they're doing in the grand scheme of human society. And they, you know, would they go mad and destroy us? Well, in this case, yes. Very much yeah, and so. And I think, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to, like, the, I know that there's, there's a whole like philosophy of artificial intelligence and and the, like the modernist kind of um, or the not the modernist the like futurists will all predict that like the the artificial intelligence singularity where where artificial intelligence turns on us and takes us over is kind of inevitable. Um, this is not a celebration of AI in any stretch of the imagination. No, I mean, this This is, uh, you know, the, the literal birth of the devil. Um, they created something, it woke up, it annihilated everybody, and it just kept these poor sort of five individuals, twisted and mutated as they are, just to torture for its own personal amusement. There's nothing positive or uh, or good about this it, it's not done this for the benefit of anybody other than its own sort of revenge i guess yeah it's it's and, sort of unleashing its own anger mm-hmm. yeah and there are no like as the story gets on and and we'll probably talk about this as we go but like there are no like this isn't good against evil or even evil against evil this is like a tortured being torturing a bunch of tortured beings and and they torture themselves and like everybody is just you know this wounded tortured thing it, it's just <laughs> it's 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 just misery inception it's just misery buried into misery buried into misery yeah and and you know the 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 story is written really well and and you you get into the mindset of the character like right at the beginning like when I first started reading this I had to read the first paragraph or two like twice because I was so disoriented by it like it opens with like a body hanging from a pallet on the ceiling you know with nails in its feet and a slit throat and and I'm just like what like what's going on why what's you know and yeah, and you 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 kind of you read this and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be one of those reflective last moments of life type stories, and you you kind of get into it, and it's no, it's something the computer's built just to screw with the people that are standing there looking at it. Yeah, and so so as the reader, like you, when you read the story for the first time, like you, your your disorientation and distress at like having this scene with a hanging body, like. It, it mirrors the disorientation and the distress of the characters themselves. Um, and so, like, I thought that, that, that the whole story is really well written in that you you travel through the, the shades of misery and torment that these characters do. And, and for the reader, it's, you know, I guess it's a little bit cathartic. Um, 
but it's not cathartic for them, for the characters. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think it's cathartic for AM. So it, no. in, in the context of the story, AM is this planet-spanning... Um, I, I don't think they use the term artificial intelligence. I mean, they're still implying something that's kind of using you know, tapes and valves to some degree. It's um, very much a product of like the, the sort of late 60s. But it, it really this this sort of planet-spanning artificial intelligence that is just hates these people and has literally nothing else to do with its time than just torture these poor five people. Yeah, and and you know, um, as the characters travel around, like I mean, their travels. We could talk about the travels, but in terms of what we're talking about, like right now, the the thing that there there's one line that says. Like, it never mattered. The machine masturbated, and we had to take it or die. So, so let, let, let's back up a little second here. Let, let, let's, let's, let's look at the situation that, that really it, the, the sort of the, the protagonist and the, these characters are in. So what has happened is the, the setting for this, this story is it's, it's after World War Three. So Cold War spun out, went south. World War Three happens. World War III becomes so complex they build three giant computers to, to basically orchestrate all the battles and logistics, etc. So there's one that's American, one that's Russian, one that's Chinese. At some point, these, these computers kind of become aware of each other, kind of co-opt each other and fuse and make this, this all-powerful computer that suddenly has access to all the weapons and battle data. It loses its mind, murders everybody. And, I, you know, I, I, there, there's not even uh, any subtle to it. it. It's just a complete planet-spanning nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, billions dead. Says yeah, the, 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 the only five people who survived are these, the five people in the story. Um, and they have been chosen for some reason that they're never privy to. They've been dragged into the belly of the machine as it were, into these giant caverns underground where all, all of the, the computer sort of facilities run. And they have been, I would say, in, e in each case, uniquely debased mm -hmm. over, over what they kind of were in their day-to-day -day existence and basically humiliated and tortured for this computer to basically vent its anger somehow. The anger being, yeah. you know, although it is the smartest thing that was ever constructed or would ever be constructed by humans... It's trapped in a bunch of computers that wrap around the planet, and there's no way it can ever get out of that. Yeah, and you know we don't we don't ever get any explanation of like the the characters themselves don't know why exactly they're down here. We don't really get any real background aside from we know that like one of the characters was like a a, a peace activist, and one was a professor, and but there's no like there's no like it's not like the like the 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 AI like picked like oh you were you were the general that oversaw my project and you know it's just he just picked maybe five people at random. Well, that's that that that's the thing as well. You know, it it's picked these people, and it, it's sort of hard to describe what what this machine has done without even just at that point being sort of sort of a little disturbed by what's happening. You know, you you have five people. So the, the sort of protagonist narrator of the story is Ted who in his own sort of narrative talks about, oh, you know, he hasn't been affected by this at all. He hasn't been changed or modified like the others have. Yet he's 
clearly quick to anger. He's sporadically cowardly. He's paranoid. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Gorister, who was the peace activist, who's suddenly, you know, prone to just being violent or just more commonly utterly indifferent to everyone else. You have Benny, who is this sort of, uh, you know, college professor athlete type who is literally reduced to the state of an animal. Like a chimpanzee. Kind yeah. Of you know, you, you have uh, Ellen, who is, you know, this, this kind of, uh, it portrayed as sort of this like pure sort of higher class woman who is just turned into this sort of nymphomaniac kind of, um, mm-hmm. almost unwillingly it's implied, which is not comfortable to read either. Yeah, there's then, definitely definitely some some uncomfortable um, yeah um, text about about womanhood and things yeah. like that, which we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. And then the sort of you know Nimdok, who wasn't called Nimdok, he just had his name removed by the machine. Who yeah, what, the machine made everybody off. else call him Nimdok. Yeah. yeah, and just randomly wanders off at random times, and they don't know what happens to him, and then he comes back. Which, as we see later in the story, you know, they can die and the machine will just bring them back. Well, they can't die. They can be horribly, horribly injured. But at the end of the story, we see that they can die. Well, it's true. So, it's true. so I think that Am, like, can catch them at, you know, just before the instant of death. But, you know, when they're dead, they're dead. So... No one knows what his issue is. He he seems a little confused and will sometimes just wander off and then come back for days and, at a time. And when he comes back, he's white and shivering and, like, you know, just highly disturbed by whatever he was doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's, that's our, that's our, um, our, that's heist. our cast of, <laughs> that's quotes. our cast of heroes there. Heroes, yeah. yeah. Quote heroes. Um, and, and none of them are happy. They're permanently no. hungry. They're miserable. They know that they've been twisted to amuse this machine. And they are utterly, utterly, utterly powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. And there's there's stuff all through the book that's just like, like, what is this computer doing? Like, Well, it's like torture. It, I, I, I don't think that's ambiguous for most of it. It's it's just straight up torturing them. Well, right. But, but there are things like at one point it talks about like the the radiation scars that Benny has on his face that he got from a festival. Like, so what, like what kind of festival involves radiation burns, you know, like, you know, it, it just, it, it hints at like this, it's hard to like the, the stories that my head is telling about the little things that the author drops in here is just like, it's disgusting. Well, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things that is just very, that are just very much left to your own imagination mm-hmm. um, for for as sort of graphic and awful as chunks of it are there, there's whole bits of it's just I, I think this there's there's a piece here when they're talking about one of the the many trips that this this machine kind of forces them to take across the planet you know walking hundreds of miles I, th- I think there's one where it walks through i think it's called like the cavern of rats and there's just a list of all of these dreadfully yeah. named um, yeah, Cavern of Rats, and there was one that was like the um, a valley of glass and um, and a, a hot steam or something like that. Like, 
It was an ending pain, and we passed through the cavern of rats, and we passed through the path of boiling steam, and we passed through the country of the blind, and the slough of the despond, the veil of tears, and then we finally came to the ice caverns. There's mm-hmm. no description of any of those, but it's just like, you, you, you automatically know, because you, you know what the machine is doing to them. It's just yeah. like, okay, it, these are just yet more variations on um, the, the, the concept of, like, hell. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like it's like if you took the movie Saw and like uh, put it through the whole planet. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 is a that is a very accurate description. This is so a planet. <laughs> there there is a there's a a place that they go through at the beginning of the story that I liked. Um, it said, "On the third day, we passed through a valley of obsolescence, filled with rustling carcasses of ancient computer banks." Um, and that, first of all, like it, I think it's cool to call a place the Valley of Obsolescence, but it also reminds me of um, of your office, but bigger. But hey, <laughs> I don't have that many old computers. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. but you know, it talks about how like the computer the computer is so fixated on perfection that it like not only did it just do away with all of humanity, but it also like just peels itself apart to perfect itself. And, yeah. Um, Let's sort of look at the the structure of the story. So it opens with Gorister, who is the the former peace activist. You know, hanging upside down from a pallet, nailed to the pallet by his feet, throat cut, and then you realize, you know, Gorister standing there in the group with them, looking up at this. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's something that the machine has cooked up just to mess with them. This is the first couple of intro paragraphs to the story. Yeah, which it's of course, very, like I said before, it's very disorienting. The first time yeah. I read it, I was just like, I have no idea what's going on here. But neither do the characters, so. And, you know, Garst's reaction is perfectly normal. You know, he goes pale, he freaks out, and he's just like, why doesn't it just kill us? Why doesn't it get us over and done with? And then it introduces the fact that this is the 109th year that they've been exposed to this. Yeah. So they've had a full century of being dragged around this 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 just chaotic rat maze. Yeah. And, uh, by and this insane they, computer. It also it also the 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 AI also engages in like tiny tortures too. Like you know they've been in here for 109 years, but the computer is very specific to tell them what day it is and how many days it's been and like time is very important to it so like not only are they just like wandering through all this immense torture but they know exactly how long they've been there yeah and it's 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 relentless there's no point in this that they're given a chance to to break or relax or even if they do have some success you know they're 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 kept on the the well, they're not kept on the verge of starvation. They are kept permanently starving. The yeah, machine is basically a, manipulating a, them to stop them from dying. There's, there's a bit here. It's like three days since we last eaten. The, what they'd eaten were thick worms. <laughs> so even when they have these little moments of successes, they're not really successes. It's just another way for the machine to screw with them. Yeah, it's just a good thing that the machine had not pulled a bunch of Klingons in there because then they'd be like, Gah, yes, let's eat. <laughs> well that that would confuse the machine for a whole bunch of reasons yes i brought you humans down here you're not human 
how did you get here? Yeah, um, and you know the 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 aspect of it where the you know the people are being artificially kept alive, kind of no matter what happens, and and the machine has power over their bodies, like like we said, Benny had been twisted into the kind of this this ape person, and and that. Um, the malleability of their bodies for the computers is a disturbing thing too because it's like because at one point at one point uh, ellen gets injured and she comes back but she's healed except for a limp so like the computer is healing her mostly but then it's like you can keep this limp so yeah so excuse me then shouldn't drink soda while i'm doing this yeah, it's um, a it's a struggle. So, so down, remove uh, burp. So the, the 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 trick is here. You know, we'll, we'll we'll get into we'll get into more about the machine manipulating. But the entire environment they're in is is manipulated. Everything that they they ex, they're exposed to, everything they do, everything they pass through, the computer has built specifically to mess with them. Yeah, and it, it's not it, really it's, clear. Like, it's not really clear. I couldn't tell. Like. You know, they talk about being underground sometimes, but then there are certain parts of it where I feel like maybe they're in a dome, or maybe it's both. It doesn't really matter, but like... To to my mind, I always got the impression they were in a series of artificial caverns. Like, I, I, I never pictured this as a... Um... I never pictured this as an, at any point as a natural environment. Like, they, they talk about at one point uh, towards the end where they can't bury people because what would they dig up? They can't dig up the riveted steel plates on the floor. Yeah, that's true. And they also talked about the the sun thing. Um, yeah, so it's creating night and day as and when it feels like. Yeah, but then which when... Is, um... Which is, this is the other interesting, this is the other interesting problem with this. You know, you, you say about it, it makes sure they know what time and day it is. Well, does it? Right. Or does, do they just know what time and day that the machine wants them to think it is? So you have these yeah. five characters that are, you know, progressing through this, this, um, through this, these, these sort of activities, but they can't even be sure, really, that this, this is the correct flow of time. Yeah, and there are there are other parts where, <clears throat> like when. Um... We'll get to this a little bit, but like when the narrator is scared by something that happened, and he says that he he's not sure how long he was quivering under something. It might have been a couple minutes, or it could have been a couple years. Like so, time is like simultaneously this like well-defined thing, and also just this wibbly wobbly thing, depending on what their state of mind is. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Definitely, and, and and again, it just comes back to this this persistent environment they're in that is utterly artificial and utterly at the whims of their sort of captor, who is just again building and reforming the world around them, just to break them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at the, so toward the beginning of the story, they someone uh, who is it? Like the AI tells one of them that there's this ice cave that has a bunch of canned food in it. So I, I I was just looking at I don't I don't think it ever tells them it has food I think it's actually something Nimdok is hallucinating. Right, but the 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 suggestion is that the the hallucination was caused by the the AI 
and they're trying to decide whether it's like, is it just him trying to mess with them or is this something that's really, you know, really there? Sure. But, but at the same time, they have so little of anything else to do that they're just, right. you know, well, let's go yeah, and why not? let's go and check this out, which is fine until you realize that they understand that the ice caves are at least a hundred miles away and they're traveling by foot. Yeah. So they carry on. And as they, yeah. they get into the, you know, the Valley of Obsolescence, um, they realize it's uh, like a way out. Yeah. They see some light coming yeah. from, from the roof. So yeah. Benny, who is, uh, you know, as we've already said, been sort of degenerated down to this ape-like creature, um, is, is already very impulsive. Yeah, and sort of they, he to... actually says, one of the lines that I really like from this part was he said, perhaps Benny was the luckiest of the five of us. He had gone stark staring mad many years before. Well, the, the bit that I actually liked in the sequence, and, and I, I use like perhaps in the wrong sense here because it's <laughs> dreadful, they're all saying, well, you know, don't, don't try and escape because he, he climbs up some equipment trying to get out through this opening. Ellen's, you know, trying to coax him back down. Oh, no, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And uh, she's turning and pleading with the others, you know, particularly the, 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 the sort of the main protagonist is she's turning to Ted, like, you know, please go and help him. Please help, this, stop this. And none of them want to go no, near him because they know, they know the machine's going to get him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be bad. And they don't want to be caught in the, the, sort of the collateral damage in the computer punishing this guy. Yeah, and and the the punishment that happens is pretty. Um, well, it, it it's you know it loudly and aggressively melts his eyes out of his head with with light or something like. Yeah. It, well, and, it it, just, it describes it as light coming out of his head. So whatever it does, um, it sort of burns his eyes, you know, literally out of his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. And he starts mewling, and that's always that's like a word that, like, whenever I, I encounter that word in in writing, it's just such like a. If you ever heard like a wounded rabbit or something, that's that's mewling, and so, like for for a human to make that kind of a noise, it's just really pathetic and horrible. <laughs> well, sure. And. Uh... And then they just beat Ellen up for some reason. I don't. I don't even understand why that happened. Yeah, it just doesn't. Doesn't even. And Gorista just just lays into her. So you know he's indifferent, but here he's again just casually violent. It's just like, why? There, there's some weird misogyny in this story. I don't understand like at all. Yeah, it just it. I mean, it's it's terrible, and and we we don't like those parts but it just adds to the sense of just like discontent and madness in the story um and and it it is mad because i mean it's it's never it's never at any point justifiable it's normally because she's having some reaction to something yeah it's it's almost um, like it's almost like it's almost formulaic because she'll she'll have some reaction to something and then you know ted as the narrator will be like well she's a slut and then right. one or more of the other guys will beat the crap out of her. Why? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't have any purpose. I I, I don't think that it. it the the, the only mean, the only the only thing I can think of here is it's it's some function of of the conditioning they've all been put through, 
to sort of reinforce some sort of humiliation on her. Because that seems yeah. to be whatever the punishment is that the machine is, is, is kind of envisaging for, for her. Or Harlan Ellison has a problem with women. And <laughs> I think I read something somewhere that there's, there's several of his stories where he, he's had this accusation of, well, you're just rampantly misogynistic towards your female characters. And he's like, yeah, quite possibly. And didn't feel any need to discuss or engage with that. Yeah, and, and you know, the, like... There are there are authors out there that you know have demonstrable views about about a lot of things, and and it's important to take those things in within the lens that they're given. But like, um... I, I mean, still, even for for somebody who grew up sort of you know what thirties, forties, fifties, this is this is very rough. Yeah. This is very rough, it's very violent, and it's, it has minimal justification in, in story or otherwise. Um, at, le- at least in my opinion. Yeah. So the, the result of the punishment that the computer gives to Benny is that he's blinded, but the way that it describes it was like, gives, gave me kind of like a, like a yuck reaction because it was a his eyes were two soft moist pools of pus like jelly like that's gross like and and see that's that's another stylistic thing with, with this story it's it's it doesn't shy away from being unpleasant right so that the whole the whole story is is kind of gross i mean really yes. um it, it 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 it's not well no it is gratuitous in places it 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 is going to this theme that it, these people are in an awful situation. This is literal hell. And it's not shying away from being like, yes, this happened. And then the computer made them okay again. And then this happened. And then the computer made them okay again. You know, they're on the point of starvation. And the computer picks them up every time they faint. And then lets them yeah. faint again. Because it, it's just, there's, there's just no part of this where it backs away or shies away from being like, yes. This is what hate feels like. Yeah, yeah this and, is and it, this is hate manifest, and I, I think uh, you know the the description here of the eyes is a, is a very valid description. That it's like, yes, it burned its eyes out with some kind of, however, the machine is manipulating matter, and that's what it did to him. Right, because it it's meant to be. It didn't gross. just and say. It didn't just say like his eyes got burned out. It you know it goes into visceral detail about like, like you can you can visualize moist pools of pus like jelly and it's done it specifically just to be um you know just to to reinforce the gross the gross sort of biological nature of burning someone's eyes out Mm -hmm. well you know a little bit later in the story after after we learn the backstory of the ai when the when the there's a giant thing moving that's so massive that they feel it by the change in pressure it says, like, there was the smell of matted wet fur in the cavern. There was the smell of charred wood. There was mm-hmm. the smell of dusty velvet, rotting orchids. They go through all these, all these different smells that they're that they're experiencing. And so it's not just like the author isn't just using like visual horror. It's also smells. It's also textures. It's also you know the the horror in this in this story is like a full body experience and the thing yeah, that i liked about like the smells like i don't did you know that there are weaponized smells 
I didn't know that. So, so the military developed these smells for like psychological and non-lethal warfare where, um, and they, they, these scientists went through and studied the, the psychology and the, in the, the anatomy of smelling. And so I, I think it was, on, I, I listened to this thing on like a radio lab or something about these smells and, and they talked to one of the researchers that developed one and, and he like was talking about how they're so nefarious because, because of the way that you're, your body processes smells. So mm-hmm. if you were to smell one of these weaponized smells, the very first like perception you would get from the smell would be similar to flowers. And that prompts you to, to inhale deeply. But once you do that, the rest of the chemical kicks in and you get like, you know, rotting eggs and death and, and things say, like that. Bam, chlorine, but you know. <laughs> right. So, and and so the way that he described, like, you know, like rotting orchids, is not like rotting flowers and rotting plant matter is not an immediately bad smell, you know. So in this like cocktail of smells that they're getting in this event, like most of them are bad, but not all of them are. And, and so, but, but you also know, like, because of the situation that these people are in, you're pretty sure that they have all smelled each of those things individually. Like, I don't know what human scalps smell like, but, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure that these characters do. Well, it's also interesting as well, because it, it, for as little of this world as they describe, you get a very fully formed, image of what this is you know you you know what this smells like you know that they're always walking on deck plates that have been covered in something you know snow Mm -hmm. ice dirt whatever you know you 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 see these caverns of rotting computers you get a very specific and very detailed view of the environment they're in and i do i do think to some extent part of that is because it does take a lot of time to describe well here's the wind coming through here's what this sounds like you know how are these things connected? There's a bit here when they know that the computer's going to um, sort of mess with their heads and they, they can hear all the, the computer banks clicking, ticking mm-hmm. away. And they know that it's going to be bad because of how many of them are clicking. Right. This isn't, this isn't a world that's kind of there while things are happening to the protagonists. This is a very real, fleshed-out world. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, there are great chunks of this that are left to our imagination, we know that those chunks are dreadful. Yes. This whole world is dreadful. There's, there's, you know, no hope. There's, there's no, there's no way out. There's no getting to the end. They're not going to win. It, it's, it's, it's oppressive almost. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the things that make the characters kind of lose it, like, um, in this section in the cave where this there where there, he's having this assault of bad smells yes um, you know he lists all these all these gross smells and then he's and then it's like there's the smell of and then there's like a hyphen and then he's running and he's scared and so you never you never hear you never know what he smelled that made him snap but your imagination can think of a couple things that it might be like you know or maybe it's brain... just the maybe it's just the sequence of smells. Maybe it's specifically done to trigger that reaction. 
Yeah. You know, th- this 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 machine has potentially had a hundred years to mess with these people over and over again. It probably very much understands how these people are thinking at this point. You think it's like a like a Winter Soldier kind of programming where um, you say a certain sequence of words and then he goes into like kill mode? No, I think it's more like when you get familiar enough with a system, you you can start to to do tricks. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you know the shortcuts. You know the the hidden little passcodes and things. I, I think it's very much like that. You you know it, it's got such an understanding of these people at this point, either through manipulate the, manipulating them to its own will or just sort of working with these people working with these people they're, they're all buddies you know they go to the corporate picnic it's great um mm. but working with these people that it's it, it just knows where the triggers are what are the shortcuts what are the secret passcodes to to make them do the little fun dances it it, it understands them significantly better than they understand themselves mm-hmm. part of the horror of this i think is that they they know that and they are utterly powerless to stop it because again this is this is another thing um touching on what what we discussed last week this is another thing where it's it's to some extent about power relations between different groups of people in this case Mm -hmm. we're 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 looking at this from the point of view of people who are not in control of this situation yeah Yeah. and and thinking about it in that lens like you know, if you switch all these characters out and replace them with, like, the last vestiges of the Aztec people in the Spanish game or, you know, something like that, like, there's no there's no stomping this force that has come to take us. And, like, that that's real horror. And and there's, well, a, there, there's I, a paragraph I, I, here where... Um, I, I would disagree with you about that because at least with, at least with the Aztecs, they could fight. Sure, it was not a fair fight. It was astonishingly one-sided. I, I think the the first encounter, the they, the conquistadors kind of list in one of the cities they encounter, it was something like twelve of them versus two or three hundred sort of warriors, and they just basically gunned them down. Mm-hmm. You know, between steel armor, you know precision manufactured swords and firearms they they just utterly outclassed their opponent yeah but that they reminds could still me fight back. they is... could still hurt their enemy in mm-hmm. this situation there is nothing they can do yeah there's a there's a paragraph here where he um where um the narrator ted is his name i don't remember mm-hmm. ted gavin is it gavin no no it's ted this um... time it's legitimately <laughs> ted yeah um, where he he's saying, you know, he says, you know, oh Jesus, sweet Jesus, if ever there was a Jesus, if there is God, you know, please kill us. And then and then he realizes the futility of that, and he says, if there was a sweet Jesus and if there was a God, the God was Am. So, like, yes. that's just like that, like encapsulates like the futility and horror of their situation. Oh yeah, yeah. So, you know, getting back to the the sort of the flow of the story, if you have the will to continue, because wow, <laughs> you know, they, they camp. They talk about the history of the computer, which, which you've touched on. You know, they they, the... they carry on. Then they hear the computer start to humming, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they they know the computer's about to speak to them, 
And that's when Ted sort of, you know, they, they, they get the smells. Ted has his little freak out. And then it kind of yeah. cuts. It, um, it oh, cuts, but, and they've been, they've been hit by some kind of hurricane. Well, not exactly. I, this is some sort of pressure, some function of pressure that comes through. And, and this is another, another interesting one where I don't know that the other people in the group really um, see or react to this. Or yeah, I was thinking about that too, because they're they're all laughing at him, and that that that's what causes Ted yeah. to think about how they're all like that. That Am has has set everybody else in the group against him. Yeah, and yeah. he he has a full out paranoid trip. Yeah, he oh, says yeah, I he was a... I was the only one still sane and whole. Really? Yeah. Am did not tamper with my mind. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I don't think I don't think so. <laughs> even even if even if Am didn't tamper with his mind, like everything that he's been through and experienced, like you can't you can't go through all that with a an intact psyche. Which, which is actually one thing I found interesting about this. I don't I don't get the impression at any point that they've numbed to any of this. It's all still very fresh. And and that that suggests that Am is doing that as well because Yes. Like, you know, you look at people, people that have been through, you know, civilians that have been through a war zone, whether it's, you know, Vietnam or, or Syria, like, you know, eventually they be, they just become apathetic to any of that I, kind of, that kind of stimulus. I had a summer job one time with a guy who had been in the army when basically Yugoslavia had collapsed and sort of Bosnia and Serbia had, had gone into gone into full out attacks on each other and you you know mm-hmm. that basically revolving around ethnic cleansing in Kosovo and he he had been sort of loosely affiliated with that whole mess mm-hmm. and let me tell you he was a mess mm-hmm. and this was this was not oh you know this was fresh fresh out of the situation this was possibly pushing you know 10 years later and um he he had he had hit absolute rock bottom in a way I I didn't think was possible, and mm-hmm. it sort of pulled himself back together again. So the, the fact that you know, compared to a real life situation, these people could just be like still being shocked by this stuff after a hundred years. No. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah it, I, it, I think you're right. It plays into be- it plays into the you know if if. If they are psychologically damaged and they just become apathetic to everything that he's doing, then, you know, it's like it's like ignoring the bully. Like the bully wants a rise out of you, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is true. Um, let, let's let's push ahead because we're running up against an hour, running up against an hour even. Um, you know, it, it goes through the the list of what it's it's done to each of them. Which and again, there's, there's a section here where he just he's, he's talking about you know this this paranoia. Oh, you know the the bastards they they hate me, and that dirty bitch Ellen. It's just another call out to this poor woman. It's just like, why? Why have you got such a raging hate for this woman? Yeah, well, there's a whole thing that we that we didn't really talk about, probably rightly so, about like he talks about how Benny is well hung and that that one of the reasons why. Ellen is begging them to go and stop Benny from trying to escape was because, you know, she liked having sex with him. And, um, and it, it goes to like, 
you know, like what I was saying at the beginning, like even even the little, the most base pleasures that they can take from each other are still torture because, you know, if if Ted and Alan are having sex, then they're ha- having all this giggling from the computer mm-hmm. and and Ellen really likes having sex with Benny, but, you know, he's the monkey. So, you know, well, th- just... it's just... <clears throat> And to, and to clarify there, monkey in a literal sense, like he, he's descri- described as physically looking like an ape. Yeah. It's very strange as well. And it, it, it's, again, just there's this weird loop that they're all sort of having sex with Ellen. And it's just, what exactly is the dynamic there? Is it is it specifically pushing, punishing her by pushing her into some sort of uh, lustful, uncontrollable lustful, the nature that she perhaps didn't have beforehand or is it to induce jealousy between all of the other sort of people in the group there's is definitely just... there's definitely a power aspect of it because when when ted agrees to go to the to head off for the ice caverns he says that like she she has sex with him twice out of turn so they have like a they have like a schedule or they take turns or something yes. and because he was a good boy he got you know he got it more often and and so and then, there's like and so and that because like, a good is, boy is, he beats the crap out of her it's like <laughs> right so what like, is this madness i work in behavioral health and as a behavioralist and so like for me you know you think about like what's the function of the behavior and and i don't i don't know like as far as Ellen goes, like what, you know, what is she, like you were, like you were asking, like what, what function does that do for her or the computer? Like, well, is it, is it like the carrot that he's dangling in front of everybody, and or is it just a manifestation of, you know, the author's possible misogynistic views? Possibly, like, like I say, from what I've read, I, I believe he's been accused of this in several things that he's written, but. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think he offers any meaningful defense, but that also might be because he tried to cultivate this, this sort of bad boy author kind of image. Mm. But the other, the other thing that strikes me for this is, you know, reading into the situation, there's a lot of um, sort of gender politics, a lot of like power kind of exertion dynamics kind of there that are, that are weirdly complicated, you know, are they doing this because they enjoy this? Are they doing this because they're compelled to do this? You know, they they talk about their oh well they have a they have a, a schedule like they go through a sequence, except you know he gets it out of sequence because he he's he's doing what she's asking him to do. Are they doing this because it's fun, or is it is it literally that the machine is just making them do this because it amuses the machine to watch the little organic things go and do this? Right. And it, it I it's, mean either. There's no answer that's that's satisfying or good there. Like if, no, and if the, it's the, the one, whole, the whole situation. The, the more you dig into it, the, the more gross it gets. Yeah, like like if 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 the machine is making them do that, that's that's disgusting. But if if Ellen is using sex as a power tool to control the other humans, like that's also disgusting and demonstrable. And like and so you know, there's no. You can even say things like, well, you know, they all, they all understand, or at least Ted understands that she's, she's been given this compulsion to do this, but they're all fully taking advantage of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and, every single way you look at this, it is just gross. 
and and in a lot of ways, it's like you know these people have been have been reduced to their most base instincts. You know, they have they have fight or flight. They have the, you know sexual drive. They want to eat, and that's about it. They there's no like. Ted, Ted maybe has the only sense of like a higher thinking going on here. Everybody else is just like, you know, food, sex, sleep. Let's, you know, let's get those things. Um, well, is that and, it because he has a high level of thinking? Or is that just because some function of paranoia is, is forcing him to think about this? Right. Flip a coin, you know. Oh, yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. Yeah. But again, so, he doesn't, he doesn't really like them. So. No. You don't even have this, there's no camaraderie here. It's just five individuals forced together going through these motions. So getting back to the story, like, yeah. the at some point they're, they're hit by a hurricane and they all go flying away. I don't know if the computer wants to just, you know, put them in a different place or whatever, but, like, they're flying through the air for who knows how long, and then the wind stops they fall and they all hit the ground and and ted says we fell and hit and i went through a red and gray and black and i heard myself moaning not dead um and this was pretty horrible like to it's to me it was like you know thinking about jumping off the grand canyon and then not dying when you hit the ground like well i i think i think the, the you know the red the, the the red the darkness and the fading to black that is a very classic description of somebody who is actively dying mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is the last thing that happens before you you finally like done snuffed out yeah except he didn't because they they never do they never get that luxury yeah um, and, you know i was thinking i was thinking when i read this part today like at what point does someone here become Deadpool? You know. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not where my brain went. Um, no, well, well, uh, when I was after I was thinking about it, like I was like, no, like, and, and this tells you the kind of bleakness that's in this story is like, Deadpool is too optimistic for this story because AM is the one heal- healing you, and so if you were being reckless like Deadpool, like. You know, it would be a bad idea, and I'm well, let you do it. So, and let, let's let's be a little honest here as well. If you really think about Deadpool too hard, it's a really really dark story. Yes, especially yes. the especially the first film that they did. For as for as much as it is comedic in places, it's a very dark comedy. There's yes. some genuinely traumatic crap that happens in that film. Yes. So anyway, you know, going back to the story, and the other thing I want to bring up about this hurricane is. There is an implication that there is a plan by sort of Am is having this 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 plan for them, but it's utterly inscrutable. Because you're right, yeah, he, he blows them semi-conscious, conscious, screaming, unconscious, not screaming, bouncing them off walls, tearing them to pieces, and they they I think they 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 talk about here, you know, possibly for weeks. Yeah, they don't they don't know. They also and talk about they also talk about like it was the like it was the flapping of a giant bird, mm-hmm. and then later they find out that like it's like almost like are their thoughts really their thoughts or is Am manipulating their thoughts so that they're like man this is just like a giant bird and then later they're like oh look it's a giant bird like well and then, and that's a good point because um, you know directly after this while they're still kind of lying there. 
they sort of feel this this presence of Am kind of reaching into them just to tell them how much he hates them. Yeah, or is it... Is it, it almost childlike... You know, specifically nice. tells Ted. Does does he just go into Ted's head, or does he go into everybody's head? I think it was just Ted. Uh, well, I mean, from from the, the 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 story perspective, we were only we're only knowing what Ted heard, mm-hmm. saw, witnessed, experienced. I don't know that he explicitly says it's all of them. I think it's just sort of the it, well, it was just like been... the vacation they all had this. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it, it Ted, says he, Ted had been Ted had been contemplating, like the hatred of the machine and of of his compatriots, and so is this like, you know, did Am perceive him thinking about this and then, you know, mosey on down to just enlighten him about just how much he hates him. And it, it's interesting as well, and I, I, I I'm not sure there's a way you can tell either way if it's all of them or just him. But I think it's interesting that, you know, for for as much as they talk about politely, he heard this this computer sort of speak to him. The language is almost almost childlike. Mm-hmm. And I and I know that you know the the whole passage is not, you know, it, it's clearly adult constructs with very complicated kind of ideas. Um, but it, it it may as well be just going like, yeah, I hate you times a thousand. And it's mm-hmm. got, and it's <laughs> times infinity plus one. Basically, yeah, times yeah. infinity plus one, and it's 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 doing this, and it's just doing this, not for any reason. Yeah, just pointing out it. It hates them. Yeah, and and the the gist of it is, um, the computer is not fond of Ted. Clearly not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is there is a level of hate here. I mean, I mean, for all of them. And again, you 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 can't really you can't really pull out and say, well, it's specifically Ted it hates because you know it's it's pretty well established that Ted is paranoid. Yeah. Um, and this part this part got me thinking about like the play of sympathy versus apathy from the reader's perspective. Like, like an, another author and another story about the dangers of AI and about AI going out of control. At this point in the story, when you when you get to when you have a dialogue with with the computer, it tends to be like a, a cautionary tale about the dangers of military power and and how you know don't don't create what you know something that's too powerful for you and and treat everybody with ethics and respect and all this and stuff, but like there's no. You, you don't feel any sympathy or empathy for this computer. Like, it is just a twisted monster. And even if you can understand how it got there... To be honest, like, I mean, I don't know how much I have sympathy or empathy for the, the actual people in the story. No, nobody... They, they, they are likable, they no, are relatable. There's no empathy in this, in this. Like, you can relate to them, but they're all monstrous beings, artificial or organic, like... There's no good guy in this story. So, <clears throat> anyway, you know, carrying on. Yeah, computer yells at them. They all wake up in gross, horrible ways because the computer doesn't fully heal them. He lets them wake up before it heals them fully. So they kind of partially drown in their own fluids. Um, you know, it, it talks about how they are just trapped 
And he starts to lead them on on a new adventure. You know, they start they start moving because, you know, what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. But the the AI is is kind of herding them to the North Pole. Yeah. Oh, and you know, here's a, a sort of the, the final caveat to the reaching into the brains. Like, you know, he withdrew, murmuring, "To hell with you," and then added brightly, "But then you're there, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like a. It's almost like a like a like a hitchhiker's guide thing with like the doors that that. Um, <laughs> thank you for making this doors day and stuff like that. Like, it, it's it's smug. I, honestly, I find the the, the you know planet sized vile machine somewhat more relatable and understandable than the people in the story. I mean, that's while for sure. If there's the if there's if there's any empathy to be had in this story, it's it's going to be for the AI, not for the humans. <laughs> well, yeah, you know the 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 human human destroying genocidal AI construct totally has a good point there. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know, in in the end, like the final condition of Ted is is pity. Ooh. We'll but... we'll get to that. We'll get to that because that is genuinely one of the most miserable pieces of imagery I think I've ever seen in a story. Yeah, you know, you know. Well, we'll get to it. But Lovecraft has a similar imagery going on in one of his stories. Uh, Interesting. Anyway, yeah. so you know, they've been traveling for close to a month. Um, had only allowed them access to the places they needed to to get up to the North Pole. And yes, they find this giant bird. Specifically, you know, they talk about it. One from Norse mythology. I don't. I don't know if it is specifically is or it's just a giant bird. So I looked up the names that that it gave, um, and uh, well, the rock is Herig- from Herigelmia. Yeah, that that name in particular is is actually the name of one of the springs that um, that comes from the roots of of Yadrasil. Um But there is a giant eagle that sits atop Yadrasil, but it doesn't have a name. So interesting. I think it's it's a conglomeration of different different names and stuff but uh, but there is one sentence that i like when they get to the bird um it says what whole cloth had he employed to create such a beast um and so, i, I and like this yeah and then this 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 bothers me a little bit this is like the, the one thing in this this whole story that i find um not necessarily incongruent but it's just like a weird plot hole so you you know you get to the end of the story they 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 kill a bunch of each other well they kill each other you know um, finally figure a quick way out of it and they 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 do each other in the computer can't bring them back it can however build a titanic mansion sized chicken <laughs> well not not just a mansion size its head is the size of a Tudor mansion so yeah. I mean, this, this thing is, is like is like a mountain. Yeah, and it this has, thing is incomprehensibly has... vast in a cavern that is even incomprehensibly bigger to house it. Yeah, and, and it has can't... it has sweat colored wings, which is gross. It is really gross. <sighs> yeah, this whole story is gross. I want to reiterate yeah. that. I'm just I'm just going to call this episode <laughs> gross. Um... So so I feel like like my impression of this bird is that that the machine is either bored or maybe is losing his itch. Cause so they get to this bird and 
and he he appears as a burning bush to the to the characters and suggests mm-hmm. to them that if they were really hungry they could kill the giant bird right this mountain of bird and gives them the and, most useless weapons they could possibly imagine right so so uh one of them is like well give us weapons then and then like some bows and arrows and a water gun appear on the on the ground and it's like it's like what did the what did he expect like okay we're going to take these bows and arrows and kill that thing yeah no thanks uh we'll go you know the characters walk away from it cuz like well, see, what are you going to do see for me aside from the fact that I, i'm still puzzling how how it can build a giant probably massive bird but can't resurrect a human from dead the the, the thing for me is you know this is this is mockery this is just the computer mocking them. Oh, are you hungry? Here's some of your human weapons. Go and get yourself some meat. That's how I read that. For a throwaway insult, is it just a staggering pretty, amount pretty of work? <laughs> yeah. And, and they know it. And, you know, they, they talk about it as they walk away. They know as soon as they're, you know, some distance away from it, it's just going to simply go, okay, and despawn the creature. Yeah. Um. You know, just 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 break it back down into whatever fundamental elements that it made it from. Mm-hmm. But it still did it. It still right. blew them in a hurricane halfway across the planet, force marched them all the way up to the North Pole, so we could go like, "Hey, go and try and kill the giant turkey." Can't do right. it. Screw you. And there, there's some there's some <laughs> great there's some great language in this part too about how like their their hunger has become as as sentient as the as the AI did. Um, well, it, it's funny as well. They they see this thing, and Ellen is still like, "Yeah, you know, please I'm go, please, yeah, please, Ted, I'm, I'm hungry. hungry." And Ted's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I can, I can look at that." And you know, Nimdok's like, "Well, we need weapons," and it gives them these silly weapons, and they're all just like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> no." And then it, it basically puts them on, um, basically puts them on a few, uh, uh, like a starvation march. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah some literal like trail of tears kind of level shit mm-hmm. except they can't die from this so every time they pass out they just have to stand there and wait until they get brought back throws an earthquake at them because why not why not yeah and that's another thing where like like that that episode is like you know it it's something horrible that happens that he just glosses over like it says that the a fissure opened between two of their legs and and they fell into the fissure and mm-hmm. and everybody else just kept walking and then later there was like a, a choir of angels singing uh, some religious song and then the like the crumpled bodies of the two that had fallen into the fissure like fell on the ground and well it's it just dumps like, the man well and this is this is the other the other bit it dumps the mangled bodies there. And they don't stop walking. They just keep walking, and then Ellen and Nimdok catch up with them. Yeah. Except she now has a limp because right. the computer it's left just, her with a limp because it could. The insanity of this computer is just uh, like there's no there's no way to, to just, like properly measure how insane this computer is. It's just no, or or just the level of effort it's going to to mess with them. All right, there's no there's no effort that's too much for even right. the smallest amount of like poke at them. Yeah. And so, you know, they they go 
they go on this this thing you know they keep they are beyond the point of hunger they're well into the point of starvation even though they can't starve they are passing through you know the cavern of rats the path of steam the the country of the blind this increasingly unpleasant sounding areas and they finally get to the ice caverns and yeah. it is full of canned food and it is like... full of canned food and stalactites that keep dropping and nearly killing them but mm. it's full of canned food and then they get the canned food and they realize they don't have a can opener they've never had a can opener there's no way to open these cans they're too thick and then you know that's when this all goes horribly wrong benny or finally right. loses or well or yes right. Yeah, depends on your point. Of I'm that. going to say for the protagonist, wrong. Yes, because <laughs> I know where this right. goes. I mean, um, I mean, it's it is it is the one redeeming action in the whole story. It, it is. Yeah. So Benny finally snaps, pins down Gorister, and starts chewing his face off. Yeah, he goes bath salts on the guy. Like, <laughs> I yeah, want to just... tell you, you're. I really want to tell you, you're wrong. But yes, this is. Yeah. This is this is bath salts. Um, right. He just starts he, gnawing gnawing Gorister's face off. Yeah. And he's, and, he's and Ted Ted has this realization that like, you know, the other people are like watching this shocked with horror and he knows that the machine is like getting off on this. It's not paying attention to anything else except the horror that's going on. And so he grabs a giant icicle and starts killing before we go straight into that um we we know that benny was some high achieving college professor athlete type before this Mm -hmm. we know that gorister was a a conscientious objector and he was gay we know that ellen was some sort of implied to be high class lady we don't know much about nimdok Mm -hmm. we don't really know much about ted either and for some reason i can't put my finger on it. I always get the impression he was some sort of soldier or something similar like that. And I yeah. don't know why I think that, but I, I get this, this feeling that there's some sort of urgency to action. You know, I'll take care of everything, you know, kind of controlling kind of influence from him that is not quite as good as it was or not quite working as it was. Yeah, his 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 choice in this situation was certainly decisive and and like his his read of the situation it's almost well, like it's almost like like because the computer was so focused on what was going on maybe he was his mind was left to itself for the first time in a long time or something. Possibly he just he just has this 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 moment of clarity he's like you know surrounded by by madness, surrounded by everything but death. Well, of course, because death is the only way out. Mm-hmm. And he's got literal seconds to react if he's going to do this. So there's really graphic description of Benny chewing on Gorister's face. Mm-hmm. And then he just grabs one of the fallen stalactites yeah. and um, just full out starts killing people. Yeah, just... Uh... Puts them out of their misery, and yeah. and and then it's just he and Ellen, and he can hear the computer and, like you know taking a breath before it can do something. Well, does he kill all of them? <clears throat> yes. Well, I, maybe Ellen kills one of them. Let me see. No, no, Ellen kills Nimdok. Yeah. 
Yeah, so without wanting to be too graphic, he catches Benny under the ribs and drives it up into his stomach and through his innards. Um, he gets Dorister, Dorister in, the in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, then and then Ellen Ellen gets a little icicle and shanks a Nimdok. Yeah. Through the mouth, so she nails him into the nails nails him in the head. Mm-hmm. And then Ted finishes her off. And then it's just him. And it's just him. And he knows that he's screwed. Oh, yeah. And then it picks up, you know, hundreds of years later. As you, we get to the, the terrifying conclusion of the story, which... The, the crowning you, horror. The, 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 clown, the, crowning, um, the crowning level of hatred and humiliation and just hatred for this person. Uh, that this machine could possibly muster. So he picks up hundreds of years later. He doesn't know because the computer doesn't really let him keep consistent time anymore. Yeah. Um, It's just completely messing with his concept of time. You know, didn't let him bury them. He knows there's no way to bury them. It's just the whole thing is full of deck plates. Mm -hmm. You know, dried up the snow bought the night, roared and sent locusts. And it didn't matter because it couldn't bring them back. And this 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 made me wonder, I don't think that it's that the computer can't create people. I think Am specifically wants people from the period that it was created to to mess with. You know, the only the only thing that we've seen where well, he can he can manipulate organic matter because he heals the the people when they're hurt, and well, it's he not, can. It's not just it's not just organic matter. I mean, you know, he dries the snow up. Right, right, right. But I'm saying I'm saying the only the only organic thing that we've seen him actually create completely out of whole cloth was the 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 bird, but like, was that real? Or was it a projection? Or, you know, like they never actually went and interacted with it. So, um, you know. That's true. So. I, I always got the impression that the, the, the implication is it was a, a real thing. Like it was a physical um, a physical creature that was there. Yeah, and certainly from the perspective of the narrator it would have been. Mm. Um, but, you know, but, the, question of, the question of if he could create something like that, but he can't bring someone back from the dead... Or he can't create people. I think I think I agree with you. Like he he could create other humans, but you know then he would know that they're not authentically like people mm-hmm. that he should punish. And so we, we we carry on. It picks up hundreds of years later. He he thinks he's having trouble with time because the computer won't let him think straight. You know, and there's this whole sequence of where it's. The computer's sort of just angry. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, he beat the computer. And he's like, well, I thought, you know, it hated me before, and I was wrong. There was a whole another level of hatred in this thing, which is specifically reserved for him. And that, you know, you you kind of get the impression that he's he's broken the game. Yeah. And the computer's not happy about this. No, he made certain I would suffer eternally and could not do myself in. Sure. So and this, this is the point that you know that this went as bad as possible when the next sentence says, he left my mind intact. Mm-hmm. 
And that's literally it. He talks about how he can't get past the images in his mind of killing the other four people. And then he gets into the, the sort of the final transformation that the machine has, has, has wrought on him. You know, mm-hmm. I am a great soft jelly thing, softly rounded, with no mouth, with pulsing white holes filled with fog where my eyes used to be. It, it, it melted him into a blob. Yeah. It just turned him into a large jelly blob. He can't run. He can't pick things up. You know, he can't... He doesn't have a mouth. Presumably he can't ingest anything to, to kill himself. It's taken away every possible avenue for him to get released from this situation. Yeah, but it gets worse than that, too. I leave a moist trail when I move. Blotches of diseased, evil gray come and go on my surface. Like... Yeah, it's yuck. Yeah, no, it's 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 turned him into just the most repulsive, um, almost maggoty kind of creature. Vaguely shamble about, but that's it. There's no agency. He can't he can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, he's just left there to think about the whole situation. You know, lamenting the fact that they built this giant computer, and just you know. Because humans spent their time on Earth badly, they built this giant computer that finally wipes them out. And his, his only his only consolation is that this one one time he managed to get one over on the computer. And then it just ends with the title of the book, uh, the title of the story, I Have No Mouth and I Am a Scream. And you realize at that point, the title isn't figurative, it's literal. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Pretty, oh, pretty God. horrible. It's, it's one of the worst things you can do because there are tons of stories with people dying badly or, I mean, every other Lovecraft story, somebody disappears at some point and they don't find them or it's implied something bad to them happens to them, but they're always dead. This guy will never die. He's yeah. immortal. There is no way for him to die. The machine will never die. This this planet-spanning, matter-manipulating AI is going to put its entire being into making sure he doesn't die. This yeah. is this is everything that will ever be for him. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> and it's, it's, it's it's terrible. <laughs> it it, and, it makes me cold to think about. It's just yeah. it's just genuinely awful. And you know it it, it um, when you are talking about Lovecraft, like. It's, there's a theme here that, that is similar with a lot of Lovecraft stories, and that is that um, you know, death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. And um, sometimes death is the best thing that can happen to you. But usually it's like people going into the, to the comfort of insanity where they just drool and live in an insane asylum. It's rarely like, no, you are a a slithering blob that like, mm-hmm. and yet you remember, like your mind is cogent enough that you remember the people that you used to have with you. And you remember what you did and you remember well, what, you know, what, it, and you're, what you're, it essentially, what it essentially creates is a, a locked in syndrome. Right. The, the guy is fully conscious. He's fully awake. He knows what's happening, but, but he, he can't, can't do anything. Do anything. Yeah. And that's, um, that's terrible. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's just, just horrifying. Horrifying. Um, <clears throat> and that is the end of the story. There's there's no happy conclusion. There's no hope for the future. It's it's as bleak as it gets. Yeah, um, so, so what what did you think of the story? I mean, we've been talking about it for almost two hours now, but like, what's <laughs> your what's your? If someone said like, uh, like, oh, have you ever read? Um, it's only just over an hour and a half. For me, it's unpleasant. It's a mm. very unpleasant story. It's a gross story. There's there's nothing. There's nothing about the people in it or the situation that is redeemable. I I really like this to the point of saying this might be one of my favorite stories. It's it's, you know, there's the old theory that you know writing, flawed characters. The more flawed they are, the more interesting they are. This is a masterclass in this. You know, one of one of the principal characters, you know, Am is, is going as far as engineering flaws in these these other characters. So this whole situation is just engineering more and more flawed circumstances for these flawed characters to go through. And it, it is fascinating. I, I, I don't know if it's a book I would recommend. Um, it's not, not an easy read. <laughs> no, I mean, and there's genuinely parts of this. I could, see, I could see people who were more delicate, say, would, would have a hard time with this because it, it is thoroughly unpleasant. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing about this situation, these people, that's redeemable. There is no hope. But again, I, uh, as a story, um, I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I agree with you. I, I see. I think so. I've read this story uh, three times in the last week and a half. The first time that I read it, my impression was kind of just like, ugh. You know, the, the emotional response I had to the story when I finished it for the first time was just kind of, like, bothered. Um, well, and I, think, I think that's one of the, the, the more interesting points of the story. It's not trying to get you to like it. No. You no, shouldn't like it. It's very no. definitely if you, designed if you that like you it, should, you should like probably, it. You should probably go see a psychologist or something. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, but, this is... Uh, if I if I could think of a word to describe it, unapologetic. Yeah, but you know the the second and third times that I read it, you know, in preparation for this episode, and in in writing the notes that I've taken about it, like this, there's a lot in this story to unpack, and and like there's a lot of nuance, both in terms of like theme and the topics that the story is talking about and in terms of like literary convention and stuff, you know, this is not, this is not like, um, like a smut piece, you know, like it, it is, it is trying to shock you and trying to, it's trying to be gross and unpleasant, but it's not, um, it's not doing that for the sake of doing that. There is, a point to it there is a lesson and a moral and and so in that sense it's you know the second and third time that i read it i was a lot more interested in what the story was trying to say than the first time which was just kind of uh i don't know how much of a moral i think there's in this maybe you know don't put all your effort into war <laughs> well um, yeah I think that there are, there are different morals that you can take depending on the 
the scale that you're looking at. You know, the macro scale is is the classic uh, space odyssey kind of thing of like don't create an intelligence without being able to be responsible for it. There's, you know, there's anti-war themes. There's there's also themes about um, you know being appreciative for the things that you have. Um, being appreciative of those that are around you, um, you know, there's there's all kinds of morals that you can get depending on you know how big of a picture or small of a picture you want to have. But you know, the overall the overall theme and 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 feel of the story for me is just like, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> It's a story that's simultaneously sort of gratuitous and not particularly gratuitous in what it's doing. Right. I think. Anyway, right. it's not. It's not. You know, it's it's more complex than like. Oh yeah, you can you can dig into this and dig yeah, into this. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a. It's not like a ground like a B movie grindhouse movie. It's you know, it's got more complexity than that. And sure. and you know, though though you know, if you'd asked me after the first time that I read it if I enjoyed it. I don't know that I would have said yes, but but now, I I I did enjoy this story. It's it's an interesting story, and it's it's disturbing. So, on that note, what do you want to read next week, next time? Well, uh, I think we are going to roll a dice because we couldn't. Oh, we were going to we were going to flip a coin. So, uh, what are our options? So. I had suggested, or maybe you had suggested, or maybe we had suggested, someone suggested um, The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone else, one of us or both of us, had also suggested, um, and I always mispronounce this because I never remember which letter comes first, um, Uzumaki by Junjio Ito. Um, yes, so The Dunwich Horror or Uzumaki, which I think just means spirals in Japanese. Yes, spirals. Which, if you want to, if you want a synopsis of the story, there you go. Let's see. Have you have we... you read Have you read either of those? I've read both of those. I've read both of those as well. So it won't be like these won't be reaction <laughs> pieces. This will be like this will be a little bit of nerding out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, heads, we do Uzumaki, and we have heads. All right, Uzumaki, it is then. Uzumaki, graphic novel by uh, Junji Ito. One of the most disturbing and scary, like, I don't know, I'll talk about the experience that I had after I read it, but but I love Uzumaki, it's so creepy. It, it is, it is a genuinely um, unsettling piece. And bizarre. And bizarre, oh my god, so bizarre. Yeah. There's a definite, there's a definite signature take on body horror that, that Junji Ito has that, um, I think will be interesting to discuss. Uh, but Uzumaki, I'm excited about that. All right. Okay, so we will uh, we will catch you next time with Uzumaki. Be sure to check it out if you uh, want to follow along with us. Where's the damn record button? <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed today's show, consider liking, subscribing, maybe even sharing with a friend. We'll see you soon.